Welcome to Data Remediations, a podcast connecting environmental data with people and places through stories and art. Who, uh, who cared about the community? This is the silent killer. This is what's taking us out of here in this community all over the city. This is where we're being fed poison. We want everybody in the city to know about it. We really need to know more what's going on in our city. Hi, I'm Peter Wojcik, recording remotely from Chicago, Illinois. Hi, I'm Katie Collier, and I'm recording remotely from Orlando, Florida. And I'm Bethany Wigan in Philadelphia. The voice you just heard was that of Sylvia Bennett, community activist and member of the advocacy group Philly Thrive, whose multi-year campaign for the right to breathe has shaped activist efforts in the aftermath of the explosion and subsequent bankruptcy of the Philadelphia Energy Solutions oil refinery in South Philadelphia. For years, she's been calling the refinery the silent killer. As we've talked about before on this pod, Hard data and other info about the fossil fuel industry's safety record can be hard to come by. Sometimes it's obscured, concealed behind national security concerns, and sometimes it's just not reported. That's just one of the reasons why we are so excited about filmmaker Bilal Motley's documentary about his long years of experience working inside an oil refinery. If you haven't heard his incredible interview yet, you can listen to episode 8, Midnight Oil. In this episode, episode 9, the data about the refinery we examine comes not from an insider's account, but from outside the gated complex. This data has been collected by people who are intimately familiar with the sights, sounds, and smells of the refinery. We're going to be sharing stories from frontline community members who live in the surrounding neighborhoods of Grays Ferry and Point Breeze. And we'll hear how many of their personal experiences are tied up with ongoing legacies of petroleum refining in Philly. Some of them, like Miss Sylvia, are also Philly Thrive members. Then, later on, we'll be thinking with Philadelphians of all walks of life about the past, present, and future of this contested industrial site. First, some context. After the massive fire that shut down much of South Philadelphia in June of 2019, Philadelphia Energy Solutions filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, the second time it did so in less than two years. And with the process being managed by bankruptcy court in Delaware, bids rolled in from new potential owners for the sprawling complex. But for the general public, the process was frustratingly opaque. While the mayor's office appointed a refinery task force and the city council held public hearings, there was no immediate way to foreclose the site reopening as a refinery. Hundreds of union workers who PES had unceremoniously fired hoped that it would be reopened. And as bankruptcy hearings continued in January of 2020, Peter Navarro, a senior trade advisor in the Trump administration, stated that he would like to see the site remain a refinery. It was in this context that students in environmental humanities began to develop a public engagement project called Futures Beyond Refining, asking frontline community members to team up with them. 
Together, we decided to co-develop a neighborhood tour of sites the neighbors deemed essential to understand living with a refinery. We also wanted to think together and imagine a safer, cleaner future for the site. Here's Maggie McNulty, a graduate student in environmental studies at the University of Pennsylvania and key facilitator for the project. I felt like this public engagement project and collaboration between students and fence line neighbors was equally beneficial to all involved as we learned so much from each other while creating the Futures Beyond Refining tour and conducting the long-term ethnographic interviews. In terms of reaching out to community members and developing the tour, I believe uh, Bethany Wigan made the initial connection with Mr. Charles Reeves at a Philly Thrive event. From here, Mr. Reeves identified community members and family members who became the tour guide for the Futures Beyond Refining tour. Each of the tour guides was paired with a student partner from Bethany's Environmental Humanities class this past fall, and together they determined spots in the community that were of importance to the tour guides, which became the basis for the walking tour. Finally, this past December, a group of neighborhood residents, artists, climate activists, public health advocates, and concerned citizens gathered in front of Auden Reed High School in Gray's Ferry on a chilly Wednesday morning for a big event. Here are tour guides, Mr. and Mrs. Charles and Tammy Reeves. I want to thank everybody for coming. My name is Charles Reeves. I lived here like 60 years. I lived here when this was a high school, when we played in this school. I, my journey, I'm going to take y'all through a journey of a little boy growing up in the neighborhood, not knowing we're dying, not knowing that we bring this here. So we don't know all the stuff that's coming from right across the expressway. This bridge right here means a lot to me because as a young person, we really felt safe. We just ride our bikes back here. We just jump on the train. But my point is that they never warned us. Matter of fact, they went out their way to say it was safe. So now we're talking. 35 years later, and we know we was dying. We know we was purposely put here, right? So we couldn't be a problem. So rich people got money. We still poor. We didn't get any money. My parents told me to go play. They thought we were safe. You know what I mean? We thought we were safe. I think now that we have to make sure in the future that safety is concerned. So if you're going to build it, at least make it safe. Right? Make sure children can't do that. Then again, it's high school. It's the elementary school. When that thing blow up, and we here in school. You know what I mean? We playing in school. We breathing us here. We had no air conditioning. The window got open. You know what I mean? The elementary school. Like, this is the way we was born up. And, and I just want everybody that's here to understand this fight. My father, again, started this fight in the 70s. Certain people got paid, they went away. But now we see the results of the deaths and, and all the stuff that it cost us. So we can't, we can't allow this to continue. Right? I mean, this is still, kids still play. And the kids still play on this special because it's the same environment. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. We're here today because of those three big balls over there. At night, we could see from my bedroom window those balls. And it was really scary because fire would shoot up out of them at night. And we didn't know what it was. 
Um, when I went to the elementary school, they placed the school on lockdown. Gave no explanation. We couldn't go out. We could not open the windows. We were to shelter in place. When I went to Charles U. Ford and Reed, the same thing. We smelled fumes. We didn't know what it was. We was always told that they are doing something over there, but we just didn't know what it was. And I explained to Alex the other day that it brought something to mind from the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard back here. Like you just didn't know what was going on over here. And it's sad because my mother had passed with cancer of the esophagus in 2011. And just about all of her friends followed. Everybody had cancer. Every person had cancer. That is not a coincidence. It's not. And it, it hurts me to talk about it because I know it was something over there. Something from over there caused this, okay? And they'll never tell the truth. They'll never say what it was. They've never said what they're doing or anything. I don't know, I, I just don't. It's just sad because we have to live here. I'm still out here. I can't move. If I could, I probably wouldn't. You know, the damage is done. You smell it. And I'm sure all of y'all smell it. Look, Melissa's covering her nose as we speak. They won't ever tell. They will never tell what that odor is. I'm not sure exactly. Maybe about a month ago after the fire, they had this strong odor out here. And it smelled like eggs. And they said, oh, it's not harmful. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. You know, on TV. But... It's scary because it's killing us, it's killing our kids. It's sad. It's really sad. Let our voices be heard. You know, I don't care how y'all got to do it, if you're studying it or whatever. Let our voices be heard. Because this, this is a step. Far greater than anything that anybody has ever done. And even though it got something to do with dividends. You know, you're getting paid to talk or whatever, but it's the truth. And it's sad. It's really sad. At the end of the walking tour, everyone boarded a bus that drove the group around the perimeter of the massive refining complex. That's contaminated. Oh, that's contaminated. The bus tour culminated at the Thomas Donatucci Free Library in South Philadelphia, where various community and professional experts shared knowledge, desires, and ideas for the future of the refinery site during a series of lightning talks. Mrs. Sylvia Bennett's talk highlighted the difficulty of mustering political will to keep the refinery shut as she shared her recent experience of speaking out about the issue in City Hall. But I'm here, and I'm here because I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm hurt. 
My family's been damaged from this refinery. I had two daughters three years ago with breast cancer, two different breast cancers. I witnessed my community going down with illness. Now my daughter this year was pronounced with blood cancer. She'll never get rid of it. She'll die with it. She's paralyzed right now. She lives in New Jersey. I am fired up. I'm sick and tired of hearing excuses. The billionaires can fly in here and fly out, and nothing's been done about the silent killer. This place is a silent killer, and we went to the mayor yesterday, Philly Thrive. I wanted to talk with the mayor. This silent killer is taking lives. We have a serious epidemic in Southwest and South Philadelphia, severely bad. When I say severely bad, one family had 11 people die in it over the years. That's not good. And when it hit my family, when the refinery blew up, I didn't know what was going to hurt a boom, bang in my bed shook. That's bad. He's very cool and calm, low-key. He's always been that way, city council, everything. But we want something done. Don't you want to see something done? Isn't that why you're here? Enough is enough. We want children born healthy. We don't need this. We don't need all this. Look at this crap. It's a bunch of crap. And we have to breathe this. You come into Philadelphia, what do you smell? It's neat. We got it shut down. It's shut down now and the air smells better. It really does. We need to keep it shut down. Whoever the buyers are, they have to prove to us and show us that they're not going to put fossil fuel. We're not going to allow it. We're not going to take it anymore. And we're looking forward to everybody helping us. We're human beings. If you run around here and shoot, kill, you're going to jail. Why aren't they in jail? Why are they allowed to kill us? It's a solid killer. And nobody seems to grab that in City Hall. It's a solid killer and it's killing us. And we have to do something about it. It's up to us. We vote them in, we can put them out. It's what we want, citizens. It's what we need. You know? Help us. Let's all get together and help this. Let's breathe better. Because God gave us what? Fresh air and clean water. Then, Dr. Peter DiCarlo, a professor of environmental engineering at Johns Hopkins, talked about the challenges of assigning a dollar sign to the human costs of oil refining. I grabbed this from the advisory group report. Um, I was a member of the advisory group. We had no input in the report. I'm not exactly happy with some of the way that the report was framed. They put dollars on benefits. This is how many people worked there. These are the jobs that were lost from the refinery. Annual compensation to those employees, $237 million. It sounds like a lot, right? Annual expenditures, $1.1 billion. A <laughs> lot of money, right? A lot of money. This is what all our politicians focus on. Mm -hmm. These are the costs. Air quality costs are loss of life. We've already heard about that today. It's hospitalization. It's kids being born developmentally behind. It's all sorts of things that you can't 
easily put a dollar sign on, but economists have to in order to make these types of comparisons. Oh, it's only 9% of Philadelphia's emissions. Oh, it's only 20% of the greenhouse gas emissions. They didn't mention benzene to the extent that they needed to. That's the thing I'm worried about. Those are the chemicals that are causing the cancers, much more so than the PM 2.5, which is one of the things they did focus on. So that's frustrating for me to see that. And, you know, honestly, I don't know what comes next. I just know that it shouldn't be fossil fuel infrastructure. Dr. Marilyn Howard of the Center of Excellence in Environmental Toxicology also delivered a lightning talk about the long history of contamination in Gray's Ferry and expressed concerns about how much work would have to go in to remediating the site to make it safe for people. The contamination of the site started really early. There were spills right from the start, there were fires right from the start, and in 1930, this gives you a sense for just how much uh, contamination there is. In 1930, there was a, a leak detection equipment requirement, a regulation that went into effect. And what they did when they put this equipment in place is they recovered 50,000 barrels of oil every month. This didn't fix the problem. This is just what they were able to recover. And so it suggests that for many years before, that's how much oil was ending up in the soil and the groundwater. And so you can imagine just how contaminated this is. We're not really talking about groundwater. We're talking about ground oil. And that is really not an overstatement, I believe. We really need to get on this site-specific levels and get the DEP and the EPA to actually revise. And if we don't change this, we are stuck with a place, you know, you could never build something on. You couldn't put a rec center. You couldn't make it a park. You couldn't do any of the things that we might want to do. And a, a solar farm is another good idea. I like the wind farm, uh, but that kind of thing where there would be a, you know, something where there would only be limited controlled access uh, to the area, not something where people would be playing in the dirt or digging in the dirt. And then finally, Beth Uzwiak from the research group Ethnologica led an arts-based workshop where attendees created postcards written from the future. And you could do this any number of ways. You can take a realistic perspective. You can take an imaginary perspective. A future which imagined what the Philadelphia Energy Solutions site might look like in 100 years. Uh, so you can take the route of imagining something utopian. If you're in the mood where you need to process some other types of feelings, you may want to take a dystopian view. And the idea is to create a vision, and we're going to send these like as if they're coming from the future to the mayor or to the city council person, whoever mm. it is that you want to identify to send this message to, right? How much water was there? What could grow here? What could we cultivate? And we had, you know, Mr. Reeves tell us that he would like to see a graveyard there. So it's sort of an, in between a utopian and dystopian, perhaps more of a memorialization to the lives that had been lost because of the refinery. Maybe part of it is a wind turbine. Part of it is maybe you want to draw mushrooms. Maybe some of the things that you heard today inspire you to think about, you know, maybe it's been reforested like the Pacificate. Imagining closing your eyes and kind of envisioning what it feels like to be there. Do you hear anything? Words.
By February of this year, after multiple public hearings and demonstrations, it seemed as though the community's demands for a transition into a non-refining use had been heard. Hilco Redevelopment Partners, a Chicago-based firm specializing in remediating obsolete industrial sites for real estate development, seemed to have placed the winning bid on the site. As Philadelphia Energy Solutions creditors fought the Hilco deal in bankruptcy court in Delaware, clean air advocacy group Philly Thrive organized a people's confirmation action at the site of the former refinery, pointedly asking why neighbors, the people, had so little say over the confirmation of the bankruptcy deal. Neighborhood residents, climate activists, and allies once again gathered in South Philadelphia, this time to occupy the entrance of the industrial complex and assert Philadelphians' right to breathe. Community members took turns sharing stories, playing games, leading guided meditations, and even bursting into song from morning till sundown. The Futures Beyond Refining team was also there to show support and to encourage people to draw and illustrate their visions of what the refinery lands and waters might look like in the year 2100. We got to hear more stories about the past of the refinery, and we also encouraged participants to keep expressing their visions for the future of the neighborhood through the postcard project. Well, my name is Ronald Dowdy, and uh, I'm over here for, the, for them to keep this place closed here because it's a dangerous setup over here. I mean, the, the place is so old, and anytime the, the one pipe busts with them pipes 180-something years old, I mean, you got to be crazy to keep on uh, keep this place open here you know and the, the people I know it's, it's a money thing involved but you got people's lives at stake out here also you know he thought it was a, uh, we was in a war zone when this thing blew over here it light up the whole sky bright orange shaking the house and all that crap letting off them fumes and you know I'm 60 years old and uh, I've been living around this even when I was going to junior high school over there off of uh, Tasker Street. Junior high school, this refinery blew up. That was in the 70s. You know, it's done blew up uh, multiple times. You know, and, and, and as the years go by, it's getting older and older. The pipes is old, cracking down. You know what I mean? What, what you think it's going to be later on? You know, they're going to fix every pipe. They got to dig every pipe up and fix it. If that was the case, they ain't going to do that. Yeah, my name's Rodney Wright, and I'm here today because of the fight to keep the refinery closed. My job was to get inside the tanks and build scaffolding around inside the tanks sit down on the scaffolding and chip the dry oil off the tanks. And when the dry oil dropped down, we go down and bag it up and send it out. And you know, I did that, I did seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And then I got sick around a few years later and gave me congestion heart failure. It's hard for me to breathe, you know, so. I don't want anybody else to go through that. We're not in it to stop the union workers from working. We're in it to stop the refinery from going forward with polluting the air. Well, I think of clean air, 
no pollution, you know, because we all have a right to breathe. Something on the land with no pollution, you know, maybe houses, whatever, as long as it's not a refinery. I see it in two, two ways. And one, I see a beautiful land. The, the public have taken over and to put in um, new surroundings, new trees, new development. And that, if that's schools or something positive, not not petroleum oil, not gas, then I see another aspect where money's gonna buy this land again. But money gonna talk louder. You know, and I'm hoping that if people in this area and people who live in Philadelphia will talk louder and have an impact more so than money. What's wrong with the world Okay, so right now I'm writing that I foresee in the year 2100 that this land has started to be reclaimed by nature again. Um, with sea level rising and us being on the coast, we know that redeveloping this site for any kind of industrial use is not profitable. You know, it's going to be a waste of our energy and time now, and we should really start working towards engineering with nature instead of against it. There's the John Haynes Nature Preserve actually in South Philly across from the airport and it's a really beautiful bird sanctuary and it's a really nice kind of like way to get into nature without actually having to travel very far from the city and it would be amazing if this site could be turned into something like that and it could just be like reclaimed by nature and be a nice forested area with a beautiful walking path so the people in South Philly uh, could have like a nice place to actually get outdoors. Sunlight, sunlight, sunlight. What do I smell? I smell clean air. Yeah. <laughs> I smell it. They turned it into something. We're, we have modern techniques now. It should be something better. This is old and so outdated. So nothing lasts forever. And this refinery has been here for 157 years. So enough is enough. Let's bring a change. And I, I don't think anyone can object to that. All right, well, thank you, Ms. Bennett. Thank you. In the end, the bankruptcy judge did not object to a new use for the 1,300-acre property. But Hillco Redevelopment Partners, which has offered to pay $252 million to remediate, recycle, and redevelop the site of the former refinery, has not yet publicly disclosed its plans for the future. In many ways, disrupting the site's 130-year legacy of dirty petroleum refining marks the beginning of a new struggle for South Philadelphians fighting for clean air. The morning of April 11th, earlier this week, Chicago's predominantly Latino neighborhood of Little Village was smothered in a gray cloud of dust and particulate matter. The debris came from an explosion on the site of the defunct Crawford coal plant on the south branch of the Chicago River, a site also owned by Hilco Redevelopment Partners. In the days leading up to the demolition, environmental activists pleaded the city to postpone it as Chicagoans battle against the coronavirus that is robbing people of the ability to breathe in Mayor Lori Lightfoot's own words. Yet by the time the mayor issued a stop work order on the site, Little Village residents found their homes enveloped in a thick cloud of unidentified substances, 
with some of the dust making its way inside their homes during a statewide shelter-in-place order. In the temporary absence of official data about what is in that cloud and what the potential health effects could be, we must rely on residents' stories of burning eyes and hurting lungs to understand what is currently happening in Little Village. Hopefully, these stories will provide a platform for physical action against corporate and government negligence of environmental injustice. And as the developer moves forward with transforming its Philadelphia property as well, it's more crucial now than ever to center community members' stories of the past, as well as their visions for a future beyond refining. Hard and you think is a beautiful thing. Get up, get up.